Uh, if you were here with us last week, we began uh, our, our new series called The Garden. And the garden is really looking into the first three books of the Bible. Because how we view God, I, I really believe, comes off of how, how we understand those first four words of the Bible. In the beginning, God. And, and that sometimes we can kind of let these first three chapters of the Bible just kind of go and just kind of bring it as assumptions and not realize that God was not just, like, he was, he was truly revealing himself in creation. And what takes place in these things reveals so much about God's heart for us. And last week we looked um, at the first three verses in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that, he didn't, he, that we found out something about God's character, that when he sees something that looks uninhabitable to the naked eye, I said myself, I was uninhabitable for God's presence. I was not worthy, but he looks at what is uninhabitable and, and makes it good. And so uh, we just celebrate uh, putting God first in our life. And today we're, we're going to switch over to chapter 2, and we're really going to move all the way down to just the last two verses. Um, and so we'll be moving to that here in just a second. And we're going to be talking about marriage today. So um, I love marriage, um, and I don't, uh, I haven't, this is not like a new thing. I, I actually loved marriage when I was like a little kid. I, I'm going to show you guys how nerdy I was, and like guys will be making fun of me like, bro, man card, turn it in um, afterwards. But even from like the, the, a young age, I, I always wanted to be married. And I didn't want to just be married. I wanted to be married young. Like I wanted, I wanted to get snatched up out of high school like, and, and get married. And I think part of it maybe with some was in my head that like I know I probably couldn't be trusted like, like if I was single. Um, but there was something always inside of me that just longed to be married and to be married earlier. Um, and so uh, I graduated high school, and a couple months later, um, somebody snatched me up. And so we started dating when I was 18 years old, uh, just somewhere right in there, around my birthday. And uh, she, um, I, had, I had super long hair, uh, total hippie. And uh, we, we got married a couple years later and been going on around a decade now. So uh, God's been so good in our marriage. And uh, we, we had really good examples, I feel like, in our both. It, it was something uh, very uncommon that we, re- we didn't realize it until we were sitting at our rehearsal dinner for our wedding. And, and we can all probably realize that this is a pretty un- uncommon occurrence. But we, we came to our rehearsal dinner and realized that um, that. All four of our grandparents at that time were still living and had been married to the same person for over 50 years. All four of our grandparents, and both of our parents had been married at that point. I don't know how long they'd been married, but 25 plus years, I'd say, at least at that point, uh, to the same person. And, and, and so we, we had this beautiful heritage that had been passed down in which were things perfect? Absolutely not. Um, you know, I could probably go through and, and, and they could preach really good sermons on how bad they were uh, at, at fighting and whatever, but they, they stuck with it, and, and we got that passed down to us, and it was a really beautiful thing, and so now some of them have gone on to be with the Lord, but uh, it's been a really um, just kind of stirring passion, even in, in this, this recent, most recent season as I look to our world, and our world is looking for answers on love and looking for answers on marriage, and, 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 and I find that we're, we're falling in all the wrong places, and we're landing on, on, on emotion, and we're landing on lust, and we're not landing on truth, and so it's really important that we look to the Word of God in the, in the second chapter, and when He unpacks and shares with us who He is and His purpose 
in creation. And let me, before I go too far into this, let me just tell you, if you're single in the house, don't let anybody look down on you because you're single. And don't look down on yourself because you're single, because the scriptures don't. You're not less than if you're single. In fact, Paul raises you up in the scriptures like, hey, it's actually probably good. If you can be single, it can be an amazing thing because you can give yourself so much to the call of God and to ministry. And so don't look down on, on your season, whether this is a short season or a long season. Don't look down on it. God doesn't look down on it. Everybody with me? Amen. All the single people said amen to that. Um, so enjoy it. Um, and so we're going to move to, to um, the text here in, in just a moment. But I think it's important that, that we set up a, a real foundation for what love is. Because if we begin to identify what our culture says, and whether we realize it or not, our culture, like we become products of it. So that's why it's really important that, that you're in a, a faith-filled community because you become a product of that faith-filled community. That's a, a really important thing that you're founded in the scriptures become, because you become a product of that. Um, but if we begin to look around and look at what the media sells us um, on what love is, um, if we begin to list off the names of movies, Friends with Benefits or Fifty Shades, or like we just start going through the list and we see that like we have defined Love and we've kind of like idol. We it's gone from um, sex and 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 love and being this this godly thing that has been given to us from the foundations and the earliest parts of Scripture to something that is now it's like a, like a god of lust um, that we've created for ourselves. And so it's important that we we really define the meaning of love because that impacts how we begin to to move into un, our understanding on the purpose of marriage. So again, if I were to ask you, we would begin to move, like, define love. What's the, what's the, what does it mean? To, what is love? Um, and, and I know many of you could give me really spiritual answers. God is love. Love is patient. You'd start going down and, and quoting scripture, and I'd be like, awesome. But like, for real, like, how, how is it really formed in your mind, not just what you can regurgitate? How are we really forming this love thing? Um, and, and for most of us, like, it, it's emotional. Like, love is really tied to our emotions, um, I, I feel love, like we think of that romantic kind of love in which someone woos us and, and they kind of capture our attention and um, they, they, they love, like when, it, when we get the feels or, you know, we get all the feels, right, from that love and that lovey-dovey thing. And like love, we think of all the emotions that come with love, but biblically speaking, love is more of an action than it is an emotion, right? You've heard the, the saying love is a verb because literally it is a verb, <laughs> Love is a very, biblically speaking, love is more of an action than it is emotion. And uh, so we, we begin to, to wrap our brains around what that means in our daily lives. That means that when I'm not feeling love, right, I still act in love, right? Because what mo most of us, we haven't even realized that we've built our foundation for the purpose of marriage and love about self-pleasure and satisfaction, when this person no longer makes me happy, I, I've got to move on. I need to find someone who makes me happy. But here's what, what I want to stress to us today, is that when we get in line with God's word on what biblical marriage is, we become holy. And when we begin to walk in God's holiness, that makes us happy. We, we have spiritual delight in that regardless of how low or high we go in our marriage, um, that, that, that we hang in there. And there's great hope in that. 
And so we can't run off the emotion. The biblically speaking, love, in fact, is, um, is an action more than it is that. Beyond that, we'd begin to define it uh, a little more and say, well, love, it's companion. You know, there, there's, uh, there, there's companionship in different things. So I think it's important that we get this kind of understanding of, of love in that it's not just desire. It's not just the emotional side. But there's also duty. And love is committed service, committed action toward one another. And so this is going to provide a foundation, a firm foundation of what love really is. Because in scriptures, like, there's not a whole lot on the emotional side. In fact, most of the time back then, it was arranged marriages. And like most of us kind of like, ooh, like arranged marriages. We push away from that because there's not this sense of feeling. Like I wasn't romanced. You know, mom and dad just decided. But biblically speaking, like it was committed service that I stuck with it. And love is an, an action and so duty and desire are not pit one against one another, but in fact, when we continually live out the actions of love, that births forth desire. You hanging with me here? Like it, the emotions come um, when we're actually physically acting in love, things begin to follow there. When, when she's not, let's just take the first one, love is patient. When she's not patient with me, it's a lot harder to get the feels, Right? It's a lot harder to feel that desire. When she keeps throwing what I've done wrong in my face, right? Love keeps no records. When she's throwing in my face, it's really hard to have desire. So when we begin to act out these things, um, it, the, the desire follows. And we really begin to understand the meaning of love. Furthermore, let's talk about marriage and understand the purpose of marriage. Marriage. As if I begin to ask around this room, we have this great list together of of the purposes of marriage and why God instituted marriage. And we we list things like companionship and and uh, protection and, and provision and different different things. But but we often will miss the greatest purpose of marriage. And it's important that we understand that the, the greatest purpose of marriage is is to glorify God. As with everything, when we live and move, it's for his glory. Everything is for his glory. And when we understand that to glorify God is we become a greater reflection of his love on earth. That, that the, the, human, the closest human connection of, of marriage would in fact reflect the love of God so much to our peers. Because it was not, it was not self-serving, but it was others. It, it was serving another uh, and it was, it was faithful. And so we can also continue to add maybe some sub-purposes. Uh, not that they're less than, but, but they're kind of more specific. Companionship, procreation, sexual pleasure, provision, protection, discipleship. The, the list goes on and on. And so I think it's really important that we first define like what love is and that it's not just this desire. Um, they're not against each other, but it, it, it's also this committed, it's this committed service, or, or what we might put in the terms of duty. Um, but, and then look at the purpose of marriage. It's about God's glory. So when we, but most of the time we don't go in with that mindset. We go in that it, it's about me, and it's about making me happy. And, and when that runs out, it, it's all run out. Um, but when we understand that, that love is this action, that I'm going I'm to continue to do it. I'm going to continue to love, even in the seasons when the emotion's not there. I'm going to continue to operate it because this is a reflection of God, and we give him glory when we reflect his love. Okay, So let's begin to go into the text, uh, Genesis chapter 2. We're going to slide down to verses 24 and 25, and what happens before that, I'll let you read 
but it's basically the creation account repeated with a little bit of different kind of flair and style. Um, but, but this time he gets down and he begins to elaborate on, on creating man and God's creating everything and it's all good and then he creates man, not so good, <laughs> uh, not complete, um, not finished. I guess he couldn't do laundry by himself. He probably was not that good of a cook. Uh, he probably thought he was all that in a bag of potato chips. And God's like, you need to have someone who will remind you <laughs> and that, that they're working harder than you are most of the time and many times. And so um, then we get to this passage here in verse 24 and 25. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. They were naked, and they felt no shame. I want, I want to share just have the, the, this, these two simple verses here. God revealing himself in marriage and, and really giving us a roadmap on how to live out that purpose. Okay, giving us a roadmap about how to live out the purpose of God revealing himself in this and that we, again, we're going to, to follow that um, and, and be a reflection of his love. I think it starts right at the beginning. This is why a, a man will leave his father and mother. We all come from different places, um, but I was actually talking um, with uh, someone earlier this week, and there's this app that uh, for those of you that have kids in the room, uh, it's, re- it's kind of intense. It's, it's an intense app. It's like, a, I think it's free, but it's a countdown to like the moments that the, the, it's like a, a minute by minute, second by second countdown to the day that your kids will most likely leave your home. <laughs> yeah, it, it's kind of heavy and kind of depressing. And you're like, whoa, that thing is moving and it's moving fast. Um, and it, it's, it's kind of a heavy thing, I'm telling you. I try not to go into it too much because it's like, oh, gosh. Like, you know, and it just, it, it's calling us to make the most of every moment as parents. But when, whenever that time is that we, we leave, um, we, we, we leave physically, but many times we take so much of what's happened in the past 20 years, 18 years, 25 years, whatever it might be, we take so much with us. And I want to talk to us about leaving because as a husband and wife and as a man and as a woman, we should never stop leaving where we are. That we should constantly be growing. That we should never stop growing. It, it, it always breaks my heart when, when I, I hear about couples that have been together a long time, like 30 years, and then, um, and then the, the, they're just like, yeah, I'm, I'm over it, I'm done. Like some of that's your parents, that's your grandparents. You've, you've seen that play out. And I just wonder what happened, like what happened in that, and I think it's a lot of the, the never stop loving thing of, of can, we, we stop doing it, but I also think that regardless of whether you're, you're 33, 53, or 13 in the room, like we're naturally prideful as human beings, we're naturally prideful, and, and with that, we're stubborn. Anybody want to just admit, my hand's going up, I'm, I'm stubborn, I'm, I'm, so yeah, some of you got two hands, the rest of y'all not being honest, like we're, like, um, <laughs> That we're, we, all, we all struggle w- w- with that. Um, one of the biggest things that I, I want to hammer home on this idea of, of never stop growing and leaving where we're at, um, I, God actually spoke it to me um, many years ago. I was going through a little bit of a dry season, just spiritually, and I, just, I wanted something, like I wanted growth, but just nothing was happening. And, and God said, Kyle, you'll, you'll never go anywhere unless you leave somewhere. 
I'm like, duh, that's so obvious. That's like the, the, that's like the simplest, like, that's how smart I am. God needs to put it in really simple terms for me. Son, you'll never go anywhere unless you leave. Um, and so he, he said that to me, but it was, it was quite revelatory at the, at the moment because I realized, and it had nothing to do with, with places. It had nothing to do with that. It had to do with where I was at in my heart, and I was stuck, and I got complacent. And, and I think... Like, I, what I love about marriage is, is that it's a place we can be comfortable, right? It, it, isn't it great that like, we find a person that we can be comfortable with? But the, the great danger in comfort is when comfort turns to complacency. And that's what happens many times in our marriages. And, and so if you're going through a difficult season, don't look down on it because God can actually use that difficult season to keep you from getting complacent. You guys with me this morning? Like that, that tough season that you're going through, like when you're at a little bit, God's going to help you drill down. There's going to be some things refined where he's going to make you more holy and you're going to be able to stick through it, okay? So don't look down on those difficult seasons because God may use them. And, and, and in order for our, our marriage to kind of move forward, like both of us have to be like transforming into uh, Christ's image. We have to be growing. We, we can never afford to stop growing. We can't afford, we can be comfortable, but we can't afford to be complacent. Um, because it, it can really kind of get out of control there um, and, and become a slippery, slippery slope. That think about this: like your marriage will stay the same unless you change. Like eat, not not just one person, but but both of us. That's when that really works. And many times, you, some of you in the room, like you've become distant from your partner because you've grown at a much more rapid pace than what they have. Whether that's spiritually, whether that's career-wise, whether that's relationally, like you've gone at different paces and, and like there can feel some separation there and, and so we have to be patient in those times love is patient he gives that one first in first corinthians 13 for a reason love is patient um your marriage will stay the same unless unless you change uh, one of the popular passages that we move to in the new testament to talk about marriage is ephesians ephesians chapter 5 and, and it can be a hotly contested one uh, talking about submission to, uh, like, you know, it's the one that's like, and wives, submit yourselves to the husband. And we, we forget all this other stuff. I've preached on that many times. But if we back up from, like, the 20s uh, in Ephesians 5, and we move all the way up to, like, verse 18, and, and he's talking about not being drunk with, with wine, <clears throat> but being filled with the Spirit. Before he, he says, submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. Before he says that, he says, be filled with the Spirit. And we've got to get, get a hold of this, that our growth and our ability to submit to one another, which in, in the, the Greek term there is hypoteso or tasso, which literally means to place yourself under in the order of things. So when we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, I'm placing myself under you. And, and he's not even talking about marriage yet. He's talking about as, as believers. So when we interact with one another, we actually submit to one another. We place ourselves under in the order of things. That doesn't, you know, discount, you know, um, spiritual leadership and authority and all those things. But it, it, it's saying as a mindset, we, we, take, we do as Christ did and lower ourselves um, and submit ourselves to one another. So I say all that to say this whole idea about being filled with the Spirit kind of kind of sets up this idea of submission and it makes it possible. I want you to just imagine this with me. If we, would, if we could be filled with the Spirit in our, our marriage. And I, I love in Galatians, it lays out what the fruits of the Spirit. So what happens when we're filled with God's Spirit and we're constantly open and just saying, God, fill me up. What happens from that place are these fruits. And you'll notice they greatly 
They greatly resemble what um, is present in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient, love is kind. You, know, you, you, can, you can list those out probably yourself. <clears throat> they greatly resemble Galatians chapter 5, I think. Uh, at the very end there, they look so much like um, the fruits of the Spirit are love, peace, joy, patience, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. So those are the fruits of the Spirit. So when we're filled with God's Spirit, you know what we begin to have in our lives? And guess who gets to, to reap the most benefits of that fruit hanging off our tree? That, that love, again. So being filled with the Spirit allows us to be enabled to live out that love. Are you hanging with me this morning? So it, it allows us to be able to offer love. Is, is God inside of us. It allows us to have peace in our own hearts and so that my partner can reap the benefits of that peace. And it wasn't because I worked and, and made it and I got better. It was because I submitted myself to, and, and filled myself with God's spirit. Or not filled myself, but God filled me with his spirit. I allowed God to fill me with his spirit. And so those fruits of the spirit enable us the ability to submit to one another and receive from one another. Teachability is, is, is one of the most important things in success at anything. And some of us, they say, you know, can't teach an old dog new tricks. Um, and I don't care the age of the dog. We're like some 13-year-olds, the most stubborn people you've ever met. 14-year-olds. Uh, it doesn't matter the, the age of the pup. Like we're all, like we all have to, to, to learn. And teachability is a huge part of our success rate at, at anything. So constantly be teachable and be learning and growing and don't get complacent. Never stop growing. That's way more than what you paid for on that. Um, verse two, uh, it, it goes on, never, uh, that a man would leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, be united. Um, that idea of, of unity sounds really good, but the, the playing out of that is really difficult and and, and sadly, in, in many of our marriage, like, um, like we're, we're legally unified, um, tax-wise, we're unified. Uh, in the si- eyes of God, we're unified, but in the practical aspects of where we're at in our heart, we're not so unified. We're not so unified. Um, and I think much of that is built off of, again, our perspective on love and our perspective on marriage. If we could have united kind of from the get-go that the purpose of this thing was not to make each other happy, but to make each other holy, and, and that we were to be a reflection of God's love. If we could have started with that mindset, I mean, our, our, our past 10 years might have looked a little bit different, you know? Um, if, we could have started with that mind, if we could have started with the right foundation of what, what love is, man, that would have really changed the past year. That would have changed that last conversation we just had. It really begins to shape it. So it's so important that we start with the proper foundation. Because it really allows unity to take place. And there's no such thing as a perfect marriage. You, you may look up to a family member or a friend or, or a couple in the church and just think, that's a perfect marriage. Um, and, and there's not, because there's no such thing as perfect people. We, we, all, we all have baggage. We, we do. Uh, and we carry that in. When we leave, you know, mom and dad, like we, we come with baggage. come carrying it. Um, and what we do is the more baggage you have and the more baggage I have, the more we, we're going to have to work. And that's why I say never stop healing. Never stop healing. I remember reading this scripture a long time ago at, at the end of Matthew chapter 5 when Jesus is doing his sermon on the mount, his first big sermon. Matthew 5 verse 48. And it threw me off. Like it, it really kind of like, whoa, that's weird. And it said this, be, for, be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. Be perfect as your father in heaven. That was the translation for it. And I was like, that's, 
weird God? Like, I'm supposed to be perfect? Like, what? Like, how? Like, I, that just feels so impossible. Like, isn't that what the law showed us? That we can't be perfect. We can't live up. We can't fulfill all these laws. I began to study. I began to unpack the, the Greek of this. And I found that the, really the first two words changed everything. The word perfect really didn't mean perfect as we know it. It meant complete. And it meant whole. And it meant mature. It, mean, it meant reaching its fulfilled end. It, it was not a matter of like perfection. It was a matter of... And, and what made that even more powerful is when I understood what the meaning of the word be here was not a present tense, but it was a future tense. Hang with me here. That, that God was, he was moving us toward, he was calling us. He, he's saying, your, fa- your, your father in heaven is perfect and I will make you perfect. I will bring you to completeness. It, it was a future tense, it was not a, a present tense. So if you're in this room and you look at that text like I did and I'm like, that seems impossible. Yeah, it is, by yourself. But God is taking us in this life to grow and to become complete and mature. And what the beauty of marriage is, is that it actually helps that. Like we have to fight through a lot of things, but it actually makes that process more rapid. So for those that are single in the house and, and think that, that married folks you know, might have things easier right now, um, some of you that have been married and no longer married, you know that that's not the truth. It's really hard. It's really hard, and we sharpen one another if we allow it, allow ourselves. We become sharper. The danger is that we can, we can stab each other with how sharp we are sometimes. Um, but we have, to, we have to be careful and know that there's this constant process of healing and growing, and that God wants to use us. God wants to use us through acceptance, through love, through mercy, through grace to heal our partner the tangible love that they receive from the Father flows through us so many times. It's powerful. I dealt with shame, and we'll talk about shame here at the end. I dealt with shame a lot um, early in my life for things I had done, things I was not proud of, things I, I don't talk openly about from this stage. Not for your sake or my sake. I, I just there's, there's, My life is very public in front of you, and there's just things I like to keep between me and my wife and Jesus. Um, and, and so I, I, um, I, I remember sharing some of those things and unpacking those. And when she responded to me, I, I was so broken about these things. I, I lived with just constant shame and saying I was not, I was not good enough. Constantly not saying this is who I am in Christ. Constantly wanting to live under who I was in the past. And the enemy used that in a terrible way. And when I shared that with my wife, she had an opportunity to respond to me in anger and drop the mic and be like, I'm done. Can't handle it. She didn't. She, she responded to me with great mercy and more grace than what I ever received in a moment in my life in that moment. And she just said, okay. Like, I believe, like, you're forgiven for that. Like, you're forgiven for that. And that was so much grace and mercy for me that I needed. And God, God healed me. Like, I've never once since that moment had shame over those things any longer. God used that moment with her pouring <laughs> that love into my life. And so we've got baggage, but, but it's a constant process of allowing God to, to heal us and to make us whole. That he's dragging us into that wholeness and completeness 
of his image. And, and that will not be completed in this day and age. It will be completed when he returns. Okay? We know in part now, then we shall know fully uh, as we are fully known. So God wants to heal. And I think that unity begins to happen in the greatest form when, um, when we're whole. We're whole. It's so much, it becomes so much easier to, to be unified when we've been made complete. Because the truth of the matter is that hurting people hurt people. Like you've heard that. That's not my quote. It's, but it's true. It's very true. We operate out of our pain. And if we can allow God to heal, that's why it's so, it's so much healthier for like us to be whole moving into a marriage or at least two or three steps down the road to that wholeness before we do that. And, and some of us, like, what we're going through, it's not because, like, we're terrible people. It's like, man, God's just, just the way the seasons have rolled out, like, there's still some healing to take place. And so don't give up. Just allow God to heal. And not only just allow God to heal, allow God to use you to heal. And we begin to understand this purpose of marriage is so powerful. It's so deep that God can use me in these just incredible ways. And, and when we just thought it was about tax reasons, and when we were just thought it was about being happy and having someone to share the bills, when we thought it was all these things, it, it's, man, it's so much deeper. It's so spiritual. It's so spiritual and so powerful. And so unity really begins to happen, I, I believe, in its, in its depth when we really begin to get whole and allow each other to be a part of that process. It's not just a matter of getting to this end goal, but that God, God is at work in that. And so maybe we just need to believe that and trust that and hang on to that. Uh, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Two will become one flesh. We see from the very beginning of Genesis, um, very beginning of Genesis, that in the beginning was God, verse 2, the Spirit of God, the Ruah of God was present. So Father, Son, John 1 affirms, and in multiple passages throughout the scripture affirm that Jesus was there from the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He's always been there. So we have this, in just a few verses, we have the establishment of what we know as the Trinity. Complete diversity in their operation in our life, but, but complete unity. And Jesus' prayer in the Gospel of John is that, that you and I, as believers, would be one as he and the Father are one perfect unity, like that we would be one as, as the Father and the Son are one. That's his prayer. So God, from the very beginning, establishes that I'm not asking you to do something I haven't done. I'm going to lead you into be a reflection of my character, that in your diversity of personalities and backgrounds and, uh, and giftings and everything else, that I would bring you to unity and, learn, and you would learn to love in that unity. So God... God chose Israel. God chose Israel, his people. And he said, before there was ever rules in place and said, just kind of all, all call, whoever wants to keep my commands, whoever wants to love me, that'd be great. No, he, he chose Israel before there were laws. He said, I want to be your God. Like, isn't that something beautiful about like the love relationship and what kind of helps us in marriage is that when they choose us, you chose me, right? Anybody ever been pick, kicked last for kickball? It kind of stinks, right? And we, we deal with so much kind of hurt off not being chosen and acceptance. But God chose Israel and began to bring them into a covenant relationship 
He said, you don't need any other gods. You just need to follow me. You just need to love me. Well, they wanted to be like everybody else. And they, and they were constantly, he, he set laws in place um, and, and rules in place, rules of engagement, rules of the covenant, of the contract. And they continued to just be unfaithful, unfaithful, unfaithful. God tells them to do this, they do that. God tells them to, to go here and they go there. Like there's just constant unfaithfulness. And we get towards the end of uh, the Old Testament and we, we find that it's just not chronologically, but just where um, the, the, what are known as the minor prophets are listed in our Bible. And we see prophets like Amos or Malachi, and one of them is Hosea. They're called minor prophets not because of what they had to say, but just how much they had to say. It's just a smaller book compared to the, like Isaiah and Jeremiah and uh, Ezekiel, those type ones that we consider major prophets. So Hosea is one of them. And, and this is what God, this is like Hosea chapter one. This is how like it gets started. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, go marry a promiscuous woman, a prostitute, people. Marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, poor gal, <laughs> name was Gomer, um, married Gomer, daughter of De Blame. Who's De Blame for that name? Her dad, De Blame. He's De Blame. Uh, and she conceived and bore him a son, um, I always think that's so funny, like, who's to blame? Well, he is. Um, what a tough word from the Lord. <laughs> Go marry one who's not going to be faithful to you. That's, that's crazy. Like, that's just wild that God would tell this guy to be, go marry this woman who he knows is not going to be faithful. He knows it. God knows it. And, and what God, what begins to happen is it, it chronicles some of their life. It doesn't end pretty. Uh, it's not like, all right, and everything was amazing at the end. No, it, it, was, it was about defining God's relentless and unending faithfulness to you and me. God called Hosea to, to, to bear this cross of this unfaithful woman in emotion when he's giving everything. Like he's loving her and he's being faithful to her and she continues to, to go be with other people. She continues in her unfaithfulness. It was a picture of God's love to Israel. So he, he bore that cross. He, he bore that kind of daily journey and pain to, to kind of exactly like reflect God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness. And this idea of becoming one flesh is, it's a process. Like this, it's become, but it's becoming, it's a future tense as well. That God's dragging us into that and it's this process of becoming one, one flesh. And it doesn't happen overnight, but we, we never stop loving. We never, we're faithful because he's faithful. We remain faithful because he is faithful to us, and we never, never stop loving. And, and I, I put it like this when uh, couples are dating, that if I become the best spouse, just as the man, if I become the best spouse that I can be, a.k.a. become more like Christ, and you become more like Christ, and we just take on this journey for God, I say this to dating couples, we just both individually begin to walk in faithfulness to God. You kind of picture this triangle of two individuals moving to this place, moving towards God, and the reflection of God. We become united on that journey. 
We become united on that journey to be more like Christ. If you're struggling through some really complex situations in your relationship or your marriage or even your whole thought process, uh, or maybe even being single, like where do I start? My, my, my situation is really complex. Where do I start? You want to be the best spouse you can be. You want to be the best single person you can be. Be more like Christ. And how does that happen? Be filled with his spirit. It, 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 quit operating off feeling and desire and act in love and be faithful because he is faithful. That he's been faithful to us. And, and so I think we've got to grab a hold of this picture of just pursuit of God and becoming one as we become more like Christ. A lot of times there's, there's, there's disagreements that happen, right? Um, we're going to see things differently. And I saw this really beautiful picture recently um, that in, in like a marriage seminar uh, of sorts uh, where it was this big circle and down the line, down the middle was a big line. And on one, it's a big circle, line in the middle, kind of like two half circles. And on one side, there's a bunch of X's. And on the other side, there's a bunch of other X's. Equal amount of X's on both sides. And uh, the person talking said, hey, the, the X's on this, this is you, you're one flesh. The X's on this side represent all of her experiences and revelation and, and maybe the, the fruits of the Spirit that are operating in her life. And on the other side uh, are there, his experiences and the things he's gone through, the revelation God's given him and the fruits of the Spirit operating in his life. And together, and together you share. That line begins to be broken and you share. He has something to offer. She has something to offer. There's this, there's this oneness in receiving, but it happens, again, going back to the Ephesians 5 passage and moving a little further down where we begin to submit to, our, submit to one another as... as um, out of reverence for Christ, as the scriptures say. And so as we do that, we begin to take on more. We, we begin to, to learn more. We, I begin to look at my wife and be like, she is so much more patient than I am when it comes to our children. So much more. I don't know if it's the way God created her or I'm just stubborn and not super patient about this dumbest little things. And she's taught me so much in that. And I don't know if it was her experiences or just fruits of the Spirit operating in her life, but we begin to look around and we realize that God's put us in this thing together to learn from one another and to grow um, with one another. That's becoming one flesh. Never stop loving. We're faithful because he's faithful. I believe these are all just reflection of his character and us continuing in this pattern and moving to fulfill the vision of marriage. And so last, the last verse is... Um, Feels like a nudist colony, right? Um, verse 25. And they were naked. And there was no shame. There's no shame in that game. In the garden. No shame. People started wearing clothes after that. They started to cover themselves up after sin, which will be explored next week some. And God's plan in that. God's showing his love and his faithfulness in chapter 3. Um, but this picture that we get in verse 25 can be looked at as like, yeah, that was nice. That was nice. Or it can be viewed as this incredible picture of the results of oneness. And the result of accepting one another. And faithfulness to one another. And being perfect, as the Father in heaven is perfect. Things were good in that garden at that time. 
I wasn't hiding anything and you weren't hiding anything. And I just want to challenge some of you in the room. Um, there's probably some things to the person you're dating, to the person you're engaged to, to you're married to, that, that you need to be honest about. And get real with. And um, that's not always easy conversation. In fact, it's never easy conversation. Um, but the beauty of openness and honesty is... It's what God wants, again, that, that we would be one as he and the Father are one. That nothing is hidden. And I think for many of us, it's like a dam that needs to be broken. To let that, let that gate open. And sometimes that dam's been built by terrible things that we've done. Things we're not proud of. Things that have been done to us. There's this dam that gets built up. And we begin to take all of these things and feel more comfortable in this really dry place. Think of a dam where water will not come through. We get really comfortable in this really dry place. And which is us and God. We got this thing, but, but we're married and there's, there's nothing flowing. There's nothing wet. Like it, it's, not, it's not there. And it's that dam that, that's been built up over time. Um, and I just believe in my spirit and in my heart that, that God wants that dam to come breaking down in our life. Uh, that dam of shame. Uh, that dam of pain, of whatever it might be. I believe that God wants to, to begin to break that down in our lives and his Holy Spirit to come crashing through that as we're filled with the Spirit and God does a new work in us. As we break through and get real and get honest and, and none of these things are one-time fixes. We, we want one-time fixes, and all of these things never stop growing, never healing, or never stop healing, never stop loving, never stop revealing, because as we get to this place, we truly become a reflection. We begin to fulfill the purpose, and the vision of marriage is carried out, and that you are no longer alone. It's not good for a man to be alone. And if you're not married in the house today, then then God's given you Christian relationship for that. And if you are married in the house today, God's given you Christian relationship for that. It's not all in this that all of our needs are fulfilled. God's given us the church, the body of Christ, the vision of marriage that we would reveal the beauty of God's love for the church through our love for one another, that we would live it out. I just truly believe that God's going to bring us, God's going to, to raise us up as a church that reveals his love through incredible marriages that for a while we survived, but God taught us and he brought us to a place of truly thriving, truly thriving in marriage. And the fruits of the spirit are so alive and active. It begins with submission. It goes back to the beginning. It begins with submission and being filled with God's spirit. You may want more complex answers for the, the problems that you're up against, but it's the simple solution of submitting yourself to God and the Holy Spirit and allowing him to shape you to be more like Christ. And through that, you become the best spouse that you could possibly be, the best single adult that you could possibly be as he shapes you. So I'm to ask you to stand, and we're going to pray. Just a moment, Taryn's going to come and she's going to invite us to the table. This band's going to lead us in worship. 
And uh, we have an opportunity in this moment to, to allow God to, to speak and, and allow some things to resonate within us and ask these next few moments, God, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me? Here's a marriage tip. Don't always be the talker. Be the listener. So these next few moments, as these guys lead us, that we have time around the table and open opportunity for prayer around the crosses, as we have this time, just let, let God speak to you. Just slow your heart down. Let God speak and let, us sh- let him shape us. God, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for this time in which we share to worship and to engage with the scriptures and just let your Holy Spirit just speak life into us as individuals, as couples today in this house, God, as those that are married in the house. Every single one of us, God, you're not done with us. You are just getting started. And I pray, God, that, that through these pictures that we have in scripture, you're always using the bride of Christ, always using this picture, the God, that we are your bride. You're pursuing us and you have chosen us. God, help us to feel the warmth of your embrace. Help us to feel the warmth of your acceptance, of your grace and your mercy this morning. Fill us with your spirit. That's our prayer.